Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. I just want to uh, introduce our speaker tonight, uh, Mr. Andrew Perez. So give it up for Andrew as he comes on up. Uh, Andrew is a, uh, is a, is a sophomore at uh, BBC at Baptist Bible College. He's a good dude. You can see he dresses way cooler than anybody else here. So uh, he's got that going for him. But Andrew uh, is going to be going into ministry. He's a sophomore at BBC, and he's on our leadership team here at Young Adults, and we're pumped to hear from him tonight. So give it up one more time for Andrew. Thank you, thank you. Hey, if you guys brought your Bibles or if you, you brought your phones, if you want to go ahead and get ahead, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. The verses are going to be 18 through 27. So Luke chapter 9, 18 through 27. Uh, so as you know, this is week three of the Outcast series. We had Jared uh, speaking on Gideon. We had Logan speaking on Peter. And it was all around this theme that God chooses to use those who are very unlikely in order to do extraordinary things. Maybe even people who are very ordinary, even have a lot of flaws, yet it seems that God chooses to use them to do extraordinary things. And with this theme kind of looming through the couple of weeks, the big question that I want to start out with you guys tonight is simply, what is going to be said about your life when it's over? Now this is, this is a big question, is that in light of the theme, and in light of God even possibly using somebody who's messed up or, or somebody who's very unlikely to do extraordinary things, well, what does that mean for you? And I kind of want to transition from this thought that a lot of us have coming in is typically uh, we get so caught up in the week. If you're in, how many of you guys are in college right now? You got finals coming up, your, your classes are coming to an end, and, and things are really chaotic. And, and so all of this, this mess can kind of get you to come into a night like tonight and be super disconnected from what it is that the Lord is wanting to tell you. If you're, if you're married, if you have children, uh, if you're just busy with your job, this is something that can happen to you as well. As you get so caught up in, in all of the chaos and everything that's going on in your life, by the time you get into a night like tonight, you're really just disconnected from it all. And so with a the theme that we've been talking about throughout the weeks is, is if God can use somebody unlikely, then what does that mean for you? So let's ask ourselves, we'll do this as, as a corporate, as a body, so when I say it, then you guys are going to repeat after me, and, and the question that we're going to ask out loud is, can God use my life? So I'm going to ask, you guys ready? All right, one, two, three. Can God use my life? Let's do that one more time, but really emphasize the my. It's, it's not about your friends tonight, and it's not even about those who didn't make it to young adults, but could God use your life? So let's say it one more time. Emphasis on the my. Can God use my life? Because a lot of us have come in tonight, and maybe we would say yes to that question with our lips, but in our hearts, we've, we've got something that we're dealing with. 
And it's like, well, truly, like the type of upbringing that, that I've had, I, I didn't grow up in church. I don't exactly know the Bible as, as much as the guy next to me or as much as the girl next to me. Or, or, you know, I didn't really grow up having a relationship with God or godly parents. And Andrew, if you were just to see a snapshot of the things that I struggle with, then you, you surely would know that God wouldn't use somebody like me. But maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, could God use my life? that surely amidst all of the things that we struggle with, all of the upbringing that we've had, all of the trauma that we might have experienced as a child, I wouldn't dare say that I can relate to it all, but I know a creator who can. So let me pray for us as we get into God's word tonight. Dear Lord, I pray um, that you would have the floor tonight. Lord, that as it is me up here who's speaking, God, I pray that it would be your word that is exalted. And God, I pray as many of us are wrestling with this thought of, can God use somebody like me? We wouldn't care about the opinion of the speaker. We wouldn't care about the opinion of those around us, but we would exalt what it is that your word has to say. God, I pray in this time of of us digging into your word that you would just bring to the surface all the things, uh, Lord, that we may not be giving to you. And God, I pray during this time, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, God, that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, not simply because of something that I say, but because of the goodness that is your word and the goodness and the good news that we can find in the gospel. So Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray that, uh, Lord, it would be exalting and glorifying to you. And it is in your son's name we pray, amen. So I don't know about you guys, but when I was younger, I, I did not grow up in Springfield. Now this might be a shock to some of you, but I don't own a pair of cowboy boots and I didn't grow up on a farm and and I didn't round up cattle. CJ's in the room, you could ask him about that, I don't know about it. But I grew up in Arizona, in Tucson, Arizona, and the subdivision that we lived in was called Gladden Farms. I know, I didn't grow up on a farm, that's just what they decided to call it. The great thing about this neighborhood is that it was driving, and if you're fit, it's walking distance to actually to your school. And so all the students that we would go to school with, it was amazing because all of us pretty much lived in the same neighborhood. Now, I don't know about you, but my childhood was great, and this will come to a shock to you guys, but it was because we got to play something called backyard football. And some of you are like, how in the world is Andrew going to make any connection with football? He doesn't know anything. You're right. But what was so amazing about this is is you would get your best friends who you would have in class, and and then you would round them up, and it's just before sunset because, you know, we all have to go inside once it gets dark outside. Um, And you would round up the troops, and you would just go to the park, and you would hash it out, and you would play backyard football. Now, what was good about this is uh, I wasn't exactly the tallest and I wasn't exactly uh, the shortest. I was somewhere in between, but I had speed for my age. Now, in case any of you guys are doubting what type of athlete I could be, I just want to direct your attention towards the screens. We're going to show just this first picture. Uh, You can really tell, um, well... Okay, you may not get D1 athlete from that, but go ahead and show this next picture. Um, Yeah, so it wasn't really a bowl cut. It was something in between that. I think it's like a a crock pot you might be able to put around my head and and shave. But nonetheless, I I was a speedster. I, I had the wheels. 
And so when we would play kids our age, it was, please get that off the screen, is that when I was playing kids our age, oh, I was phenomenal. You would just hand me the ball, what is it, hand off, help me out here. You, okay, you give it to me and I would run. And no one could catch me. And it was amazing. I would love playing backyard football, mostly because I didn't really have to catch or have to throw. They just gave it to me and I ran. I was good at running. But there came a time when we were playing the older kids in the group. So at this time, I was probably roughly around fourth grade, uh, and they invited the middle schoolers to play. Now, this is ridiculous. Some of the kids got there, and you definitely could tell that they had facial hair that was older than I was, and they were like these Canaanite Philistine-looking dudes, and uh, not everyone has been gifted with height. Uh, I would be one of them who was not gifted with height. Uh, not everyone was a Colton Simmons or a Thomas Gnadden. Like, I can't make this up. They were born six foot two, 200 pounds. They've always been blessed, right, Colton? All right. So I, I was not blessed with that. And so with all these kids coming in, you, you start to get greatly discouraged because you're like, you know, I know I have the speed, but is it really gonna matter when I'm against these types of guys? And so, you know, I was kind of sweating in my shoes and we all lined up. And of course, the two best guys that were there were the captains. And they start picking everybody except for me. And I was like, what in the world's going on? Like, you've seen me play before. I've got the speed. Surely somebody's going to scoop me up. And I guarantee you, this was probably the only time I've ever been picked last, mostly because I pick my battles. I don't play football anymore. But I was picked last. And I remember thinking, so pretty much everything that I've been able to bring to the table is now meaningless, and really nobody wants me on their team because I'm the short run, and I got a crockpot haircut. Like, nobody wanted me on their team, and what's dangerous for us to start thinking is that this is the way that God works, is that he lines us all up, and he starts looking for these qualifications, is okay, you're this high, you're, you're this short, and oh, you have these types of abilities, and I'm gonna use you, but not really you. And what's dangerous is we think that God operates this way. And so in light of the big question, can God use my life? We start to think, well, no. Is, I, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm not good at this. Have you seen my past? Have you seen my upbringing? Surely God wouldn't use somebody like me. And we've made the mistake of thinking God operates this way. So we're gonna start out in uh, verse, nine, or verse 18 of chapter nine. And let's just read through this. So the context for this is this is coming right after the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 plus, really, is that Jesus used just two fish and five loaves of bread to feed over 5,000 people. And the disciples are like going wild because they've seen what Jesus has just done. And if we are readers reading into this story, my guess is none of us would guess what's about to happen. Is that if something amazing like this just happened and we just saw Jesus do an amazing thing, my guess is maybe it's like, after party type celebration, like let's, let's get this thing going, Jesus. We got leftovers, don't we, you know what I'm saying? And instead we get this serious conversation. Jesus, after the feeding of the 5,000, moves over and begins praying by himself. And this is where we pick up in the text and it says, and it happened as he, being Jesus, was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them saying, who do the crowds say that I am? 
So they answered. They said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say that you're the one of the old prophets that has risen again. And then Jesus comes back with a response um, that may, may change the course of the game, not only for the disciples who are hearing it at this time, but for us as well. He says, but who do you say that I am? And I think what's important is the heart of the text tonight is going to be in verses 23 through 27. But for us to even get there, this is the question that the disciples had to answer. And this is the question that you and I have to answer as well. As Jesus begins by saying, well, who does the crowd say that I am? After this huge miracle that he's just done and we expect this after party type thing is we get this very intimate discussion. And then Jesus addresses them and says, who does the crowd say that I am? And of course, they came up with a bunch of answers. And I think if we were to do the same tonight, who, who do your friends say that Jesus is? Who do those on the street, who do those that go to school with you or that work with you, who would they say that Jesus is? And we would get an array of answers. Uh, but then Jesus moves into the personal question. Who do you say that I am? And tonight we're going to be doing the same thing is that if we don't properly answer the question here, then verses 23 through 27 really mean nothing to us. Is that if we don't get the foundation of who Christ is to us, then really, what's, what's the point of, of anything? And so Jesus wants to make sure that this is the foundational question that they get right before he moves into the next topic of discussion. Because although they're coming off this amazing miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, what Jesus is about to share is anything but exciting in the ears of the disciples. And so Peter kind of jumps right to the point uh, in verse 20, uh, 20b, the, the second half. Peter answers and said, the Christ of God. Peter understood where Jesus was going and so he jumped straight to the point. But I wonder if it was said with his lips but not believed with his heart. And maybe that's some of us tonight. Is before we even jump into the heart of the topic, if, if God can use my life, then what does that look like? It's important for us to understand who is God to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is it merely lip service? Do you know how to properly answer somebody? If somebody asks you, well, who is Jesus to you? You know the correct response. You've, you've been raised in church or, or you've sat in enough services to know the right response. Oh, he's my savior. Is it merely lip service or is it something that you believe with your whole being, with your heart? Because if that's true and if that's so, then the next conversation that Jesus has with the disciples is, is one that should stick with us. It says in verses 21, uh, starting in verse 21, it says, And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. So there's two things already that, that are probably stirring up in, in the disciples' heads, suffering and rejecting. So it says, I, I must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, but then be raised on the third day. 
is in the heads of the disciples. This is how I imagine it, it's going on. It says, okay, if Jesus asks me this foundational question of who is Jesus, and, and I say he is Christ of God, and I am following Jesus, and, and wherever Jesus goes, I will go. And then Jesus transitioned into this, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna be rejected, and I'm gonna be killed. At this point, the disciples are probably freaking out because they know if this is where Christ is going, then that means I have to follow. If Christ really is God, and it's not merely lip service, then where Christ is going, we must follow. And what does that say here in the text? It says suffering, rejection, to be killed. This isn't exactly the after party that they had in mind. And I think it's crazy because this is right after something spectacular has happened. But yet Jesus knows exactly what he needs to tell them for the events that are to come. And so Jesus says that he's gonna be suffered, rejected, killed, and on the third day, is that's actually something that we just celebrated during Easter. Is although to the ears of the disciples here, it's, it's very, very heavy, it's actually great news on, the, on this side of the cross. As we can look back and say, yes, Christ suffered. Yes, Christ was rejected. Yes, he was killed and he was raised again so that we could have eternal life. Is that's the gospel. But imagine to the ears of the disciples what this meant. And then he goes on to say, as to make the connection between the two, as he's saying, then he said to them, this is verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and in the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God is when Jesus is qualifying for the disciples what it actually takes to be a disciple, is he starts out with this phrase that is actually encouraging news to us all. Who can be a disciple? He says, if anyone wants to be a disciple. So that's great news for us. So, so that means it's not about the prerequisites that we bring to the table. It's not about what we have that's awesome that God sees and he's like, you know what? You have this great ability and that's why I'm going to use you. Instead, it's this, God, I have nothing. And I know that if I come before you, your word says that you will use anyone. And so to answer some of the main questions that we've been asking is, is if I struggle with this or if I'm from this type of background, can God use me? The answer is yes. But there's a few qualifiers that come as well. As when Jesus was explaining to this disciple, he, to the disciples, he says, yes, anyone who wants to follow me can. But the qualifiers are as follow. The first is he must deny himself. And I think what's important for us to know is the context in which this is being told to the disciples. Is they weren't exactly a 2019 group of young adults, college or uh, mid-age people who were coming and that, that wasn't the original audience. 
is the original audience was is in a time of, uh, in Rome, and actually when Jesus is talking about denying himself, really it's a target at someone's identity. And so for somebody living in this time period, um, a lot of what made somebody's identity was kinship, so, so those of your family. It was also relationships, so it's who you knew or who knew you. Um, and then it's also extended family. So who did you come from? And that's also a family of origin. And then it's your inner circle. Well, who do you hang around? And you get all of these and you put them together and this is really what people would base their identity off of. Sounds very similar to what we do nowadays, but just a bit different. And so he says, all of these things that you are now putting together to make your identity, this is actually the very same thing that I'm calling you to deny. This is radical. And I don't, I don't want us to think that really Jesus is kind of offering up this denial of self and it's really just kind of this passive thing. It's as if like, oh, do you want vegetables or do you want dessert? For some of us, it's an, it's an easy decision. You'll take the dessert. So you're just gonna, you know, just kind of rid myself of the vegetables. This is actually a radical form of self-denial is that this is not only addressing somebody's identity, but everything that they are choosing to identify themselves with. Their family, where they've come from, their relationships, their inner circle, all of these things which they has counted as their identity must be denied for the purpose of having a brand new identity in Christ is that all of these things that we once had, that these disciples once had, that they counted their identity as, must be forsaken for the purpose of God being the sole reason for their identity. And if that would be true, then what would come out of that is a wholehearted devotion to the plan and the message of Jesus. So that's deny himself. And then we look at the second one, and it's take up your cross. See, Jesus was using this metaphor uh, to reference death by crucifixion. And I think in today's age is, is the cross, of course, in a Christian context, we could explain to you the significance of a cross. But when you look out, people have this medallion on their necklace, and they have a sticker on their car. You wouldn't want to be caught with one of these in this day and age. Is that the symbol of a cross certainly meant death. And for these disciples, hearing this is, is literally a call for them to be able and to be willing to die for the cause and for the sake of Jesus. This is, this is crazy. And I, I'm up here and I'm, I'm able to read God's word and, and try and explain God's word to a group of people and, and I'm not in fear of my life. Thank God we live in a country where that's so. But I think what is devastating is when we think that's the reality all around the world. Is for those of you who, who might be in tune with the news is we've seen a recent bombing in Sri Lanka on an Easter service. Is while we at High Street, most of our issues came from people getting hit in the head with Easter eggs, is there's people halfway across the world who are actually dealing with suicide bombers coming into the church and killing people. And so what I don't want us to do and what my greatest fear is is that we can read this taking up this, our cross and we can read it as, oh, you know, yeah, that's, that's great. But it, but it really is, doesn't have a ton of weight. And what we do is we tend to mix this idea of westernized culture and, and who we are in America and this idea of the American dream and we try and infuse it together with the gospel. 
and, and, and our huge issue is that we stop taking the call of being a disciple seriously. And the truth is, there are maybe a lot of us in this room who may not face death because of faith. But the idea behind it, the principle behind it is, is it a possibility for you to somehow come to the conclusion that whatever it is that you want for me, God, I'm willing to go. Whatever it is, whatever opportunity, whatever circumstance, whatever job you're calling me to, Lord, there is nothing that I'm going to say no to. Because I know who you are, and I know who I say that you are. And what was crazy is, is this commentary that I was uh, reading in preparation for the message was talking about the thought process of somebody on the way to crucifixion. And to kind of put it in our context is, is if somebody was going to die on a cross, most likely their thoughts aren't going to be, dang, did I leave Netflix on? Or, or dang, is the water still running? Or man, oh, I should have I put a couple more hours in at work so that I can buy the things that, that are really just making me happy and bringing me joy. Is that if somebody's on the way to crucifixion, probably none of those things are running through their head. And so really this call to, to take up your cross is not only one that is not being afraid of certain death, but it's also forsaking any possessions. But I think some of us have gotten to the point where we'll come before God and we'll say, you know, I'll do that for you so long as I get to have this. And we've forsaken God's call for our comfort. And this is something that Jesus had to address right away is to deny yourself, to take up your cross. And then the third he says is, follow me. Now the way this verb is, is written is not one that is a one and done. This follow me is that, you know, I made a decision way back when. Uh, so in the disciples context, it wasn't, you know, when Jesus called me out of the boat, I chose to follow him. But the next day, I kind of I just went back to doing my old thing. But this follow me is actually a verb that is used to describe the continual process of following. And I wonder if some of us in this room today have maybe made a decision a while back that you asked God to save you and you may have repented and you may have turned from a lot of your sin, but now you're sitting in the room and you aren't exactly following what God's will is for your life. Is although Jesus says, anybody can follow me. These are the qualifiers for being a disciple. And I think it's beautiful as it goes on and it expounds on what Jesus, uh, he expounds on what he just says. It says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I think to many Christians in America, that would shock them. Because it's all about the life that I've planned out for myself and it's all about the, the type of future and the type of career that I've chosen for myself. And yeah, I got saved, but it's really just God kind of joining into the things that I've already planned. And if God chooses to say something or to push me another direction, I'll give it consideration. But ultimately, this is my life. And I wonder if we were sitting around Jesus and, and it was us instead of the disciples, would this be shocking news to us? That to be a disciple and to follow Christ and to have a life that is of any fulfillment or of any significance, it doesn't come in you fulfilling the passions of yourself, but rather coming before the Lord and coming before Jesus and saying, I'll lose my life, whatever it is that you want, 
See, Jesus says that's how you find true life. And I think it's heartbreaking to look out into society and to see so many people trying to do something or be someone or, or, or try this opportunity in order to find some sort of significance in their life. Because what Jesus says here is he is the one. God is the one that brings significance. God is the one that brings about purpose. But it's not from you pursuing your own desires, but rather you coming before God and saying, here's my life, do with it what you please. That's how we find life. And the last point that I want to make as we're walking through this passage is just the idea of living unashamed. It says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. And in his fathers and in the angels, the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Will we choose to live unashamed. And, th- and this for the disciples was huge because what Jesus was about to face wasn't some happy gumdrop lollipops type of life as Jesus lays it out. He says, I'm gonna suffer. I'm gonna be rejected. And I know you've been walking with me through life, but there's gonna come a time where I die. And I'll be raised again on the third day. But who will you be In the midst of all of that, will will we come before God and say, I'm willing to suffer. Whatever it is that you want, I'm I'm willing to go wherever you call me if it's for the cause of Christ, if it's for your will and not mine. And so we come back to the questions that we addressed in the beginning of the message. Can God use my life? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes. But you want to know the biggest obstacle that keeps you from being used greatly for God is you. As we might try and shift the blame and and it's because of this or it's because of this in my past. It's because of how I was raised. It was because of the, no, the biggest obstacle for a believer who wants to be used greatly for the Lord is himself. And if he isn't willing to deny himself, to take up his cross and to follow Christ continually, then you better believe there is no possibility of being used greatly for God. It must come through self-denial. It must come through the willingness to even die and to not just, just a one and done, I'm following you and then I'm gonna fall away, but a continual following of the Lord. So we ask ourselves tonight, will we say yes to self or will we say yes to God's will? Will we say yes to possessions and comfort and the life that we know or will we say yes to whatever it is that God has for us? Will we say yes to following the ways of self and so the ways of the world or will we say yes to the continual following of Christ and Christ alone? Because I guarantee you, if we are saying yes to the will of God, if we are saying yes to whatever it is that God wants for us, and we're saying yes to waking up every single day and saying, God, I choose to follow you this morning, then that yes will be used by the Lord. And I don't want us to come here and think it's, well, it's because of this that I'm bringing to the table. 
Or, or maybe God will use me because of this. The truth is God is going to use you for his purpose despite what you've been through. Is that God can use anyone and desires to use anyone. So I want us to walk away from tonight asking ourselves, are we willing to let Jesus determine the story of our life? Because for the apostles, this wasn't lofty thought. As Jesus was really laying out what the rest of their life was gonna look like. Peter, we know, had an amazing ministry. But the purpose of God at the end of his life was actually to be crucified upside down. And so for the disciples, this was a very real laying out of the rest of their life. And so they had to ask the question that we need to ask ourselves today. No matter what, are we willing to let Jesus determine the story and the rest of our lives? Because I think what's so beautiful about any time that we gather, we get three opportunities to worship, three main opportunities to worship. The first being is when at the beginning of the service when we were all able to stand and we were all able to sing to God and worship him and praise him. The second being is, is when somebody opens up the text and is reading God's scripture and is exalting his scripture is this is an act of worship. And the third type of worship that we get to partake in is the response to God's word. To not merely hear what he had to say and so turn away from it as, as if we've never even heard it before. But we get the opportunity to worship and saying, in light of Luke chapter 9, 18 through 27, this is what I'm going to do with my life. To change it, not towards myself, not towards my passions and my desires, but to alter my course of life and to pursue what it is that you've laid out for me. And so as we close, we get a time to response to have a response, how great is that? Is that we don't have to merely just hear the word and just sit down, but God actually allows us to respond. And so maybe there's some of us here tonight that in the time of response, what we need to do is we need to come before the Lord and we need to say, you know, I have been choosing myself. I have been choosing the careers that I wanted. I've been choosing the path of life that, that I have desired for myself with no consideration of you. God, and I, I wanna surrender that to you. That's one type of response. Another type of response is, is God, there has been areas of my life that I have been keeping from you. Lord, and I know that with my lips, I'm saying that whatever you have for my life, wherever you have for my life, I will go, but I know with my heart, that's not true. And so maybe in this time of response, you need to come before the Lord and just say, you know what, whatever it is you have planned for my life, I will give you, I will follow you. And the third type of response is maybe you did make a commitment towards Jesus. Maybe it was in an Easter service or maybe it was at a young adults gathering. Maybe it was a time where you were in college or maybe it was when you were young, but you've drifted from him. And in light of what we've been reading in Luke 9, you're wrestling because you know that you were once on fire for God, but you have drifted from him. And Jesus saying, it's not a follow me that's one and done. It is a continual process. 
So maybe we have to come before God and say, Lord, I just wanna come back to you. I know you are gracious and you are a forgiving God who will accept me. But Lord, I wanna come back to you. And lastly, some of my favorite people in the room is, is maybe you just don't know who God is at all. Maybe you're thinking, well, he's talking about God as if he has a relationship with him, or I have a friend who's been talking to me about Jesus, and I have no idea how they can act like they know him so personally. And what it is, is you're sitting here in this room, and you maybe have a heavy heart, your, your hands may be clammy, and it's because you know you don't have a relationship with God. And there's a void in your life that you know you are missing. And the good news is, is that the same God who died for my sins is the same one who died for yours. And if we are to come before the Lord and repent of our sin, if we are to ask God to save us, he will. And it is not because of some sort of prerequisite. It's not because of something that you're offering at the table. It's not because of some historical background that you have or whatever family you're from. It is because God is good. And salvation and knowing Jesus has nothing to do with what we can do or what, what we have done, but it is solely by the grace of God through faith in him. So maybe that's the type of response that you need to have tonight. All of those are acts of worship. But I don't want us to kind of get this idea of, well, maybe the altar is, is just for those who, who really just don't know who God is. And if I go up there, like I, I'm gonna be an embarrassment. People are gonna be looking at me. The altar is an opportunity for you to offer things to the Lord is that the spiritual commitment and the spiritual response you're having inside can be made physical. And so I want us as young adults, as a gathering, to be one that values coming before God and responding to his word. So if all of us could stand right now, the band's gonna come up and they're gonna play one last song. And during them playing, I want all of us to have a time of response to God. Maybe it was one of the responses that went over, or maybe you know in your heart it's something that I haven't even spoken about, but you know you have to get right with God to ask for forgiveness. And if, you, if you're one of the ones who don't know Jesus, but you want so badly a relationship with God, there's gonna be leaders up here in the front that you can talk to as well but don't miss out on an opportunity to respond to God's word tonight. You don't have to wait until you think you've got life together. You don't have to wait until you figure things out on yourself. Is The beauty is that God wants you just as you are and he will do the changing in your heart for you. So let's just have a time of response as I close this out in prayer. Thank mm -hmm. you.